Best Worst Podcast, episode 16. 16, kids. This episode is brought to you by the Kalila 12 year, which I think has made a previous appearance. And I think, I believe um, it has. And I think that's probably a good theme for this week because um, we're d- recording this one to uh, commemorate the start of Auckland Film Society, which is, of course, bringing you the best films from the past every year to uh, Auckland yeah. screens. Yeah, it's a fantastic program, generally, yeah. and it's a pretty fantastic program this year. Now, what's your history with the Film Society? Have you gone a lot, or have you not so No, much? just bits and pieces. I, I kind of came to it late in the game. More recently, I... Well, like at the moment, I because I've got kids, all the screenings are around about 6.30, I think. 6.30 on Mondays. Yeah, which is... Yeah. And that's just not a good time um, for me as a parent. Uh, so... Unfortunately, I can't make many of the screenings. I would like I can't join as a regular member and go along every week. But I see maybe in a couple of years' time I'll be able to be in a different space and get back to it. So, and in the meantime, we can make you horribly jealous and talk about all the things <laughs> you're going to be missing. Now, this year is interesting for two things that are quite new. One is that actually not totally new, but it's moved back to the Academy Cinemas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after a couple of years at Rialto, Rialto yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just recently saw a film that we'll be talking about in a future record at the new Academy, and I've been really impressed with what yeah, they've done yeah, there. Yeah, the, the refurbishment of the Academy, sort of redoing the projection and, and the sound has been pretty mm. fantastic, yeah. Well, even even just the lobby, it's a place that yeah, you want to yeah. spend time in. Um, <laughs> so, it's yeah, it's, it's much more impressive outside the theatre. And the screen's the theater, doing trailers up the top. And, <laughs> yeah, and they're much more impressive inside the theatre as well. You know, it's mm. DCP, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's good, clean sound. Yeah, it's a great place to see films now, and um, and very friendly folk that are working there now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that um, they seem to be mending fences with the various organizations yeah, <laughs> in town through the years uh, augurs well for them being a venue for the film festival this yeah, year as well, yeah. hopefully. The other thing that I'm a bit more ambivalent about, but I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, is that this is the first year where there's almost no actual film in the film society. It's yeah. going to be... It looks like it's mostly HD screenings of these films, which a couple of years ago I probably would have thrown my toys out of the cot and not gone, <laughs> which in fact I did with Film Society one year. I didn't sign up because six of the films were being screened digitally. <laughs> but, you know, in the last couple of years, I've seen quite a number of um, restored films presented digitally that have been presented quite well uh, from The House by the Cemetery, uh, which I saw at Fantastic Fest in a beautiful uh, restoration and then recently um at queen street they did an american werewolf in london thing double feature mm. and that looked great as well so i'm gonna hold out for the was, best was american werewolf yeah. did it still have that grain going on american werewolf always looks soft like i've never yeah. seen it on film but i've seen it on dvd and i saw it there and at first i'm like is this bad compression it's like no it's actually just film grain it's like eyes wide shut or one of those yeah films. yeah it's so I was got it on Blu-ray yeah. and I watched it again recently and I and I was like, man, this is so grainy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 strange. I think yeah. it was just they must have, because there's so much night stuff. They might have just mm. used a really uh, slow stock or something or yeah. fast stock. I can't re- fast, exactly. Fast okay, stock. yeah. yeah. But uh, whatever they did, it definitely like does not have the sharp. Whereas the thing is, you know, was so sharp and pristine mm. and beautiful. Um, cool. Do you want to start talking about what you're, um, if you could only see five films this year at Film Society, which usually that means you need to cut down, but this year yeah. you don't even be going to that. <laughs> yeah, <many>. yeah. <laughs> but uh, we each kind of chose five I, films, give or take, that we'll uh, talk about. Um, I, I hope that I maybe we'll be able to get to two of these, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. So choice number one for you? It's, it's one that I don't really know much about. It's um, Deep End, and that's the kind of the German-UK collaboration. The director's name slips out of my head. Jerzy Skomolowski, I think? I yeah. probably don't have that quite right. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Smil- yeah. Late 60s, early 70s yeah, film? Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of like a romantic drama thing happening in um, London, I think. 
and around sort of the working class area and yeah, it looks like it could be quite interesting. And you know, I like I like stuff set you know set back a little while ago in in the UK. I, I mean, find that an interesting place. Yeah, and yeah. it's also probably like very much with your coming of age kind of yeah uh, yeah <laughs> kind, of, kind of a good fit. I saw it ages ago and I was quite tired. So I'm, it's one that I didn't totally love, but I'm quite keen to give another go to. And oh, it's yeah. got some of the interesting rhythms of the period and stuff yeah. it feels very much of its time and i love mm. like almost anything from the late 60s early yeah. 70s even if it doesn't quite work there's oh. something about Where did you the get? character of it uh on video oh, okay, uh, yeah. a while back so yeah i can't remember exactly where i tracked it down from cool. but it's one of those it's kind of you know you inhale a couple hundred films a year yeah, or whatever yeah. you know kind of go <laughs> went in one eye and out the other oh, a little yeah. bit so because yeah. I, I mean I don't really know much else okay. about it. It just appealed reading about it. Yeah. Hey, well if we can get through all of them this quick, this could be our <laughs> shortest podcast ever. I know a couple of people would be happy with that. <laughs> so what's first on your list, man? The first on my list is the first film, which is playing on Monday, which hopefully we'll get this podcast out to the world by then, uh, Monday the tenth, and that is uh, Monty Hellman's classic Two Lane Blacktop. Oh, fantastic! Which yeah. I I've seen several times. Uh, I had played at the film festival actually in a yeah. 35 mil print a few years oh, back, maybe 06 or 07. 06, I think. Uh, as the year they had Electric Light and Blue and a yeah, number of yeah. other Five Easy Pieces, Five Easy Pieces, Gardens. Yeah. Yeah. Last Picture uh, Show was? Uh, yeah, yeah, Last Picture yeah. Show, um, Smile, yeah. um, I think Head as well. And, yeah, um, yeah, I saw Head that, yeah. I'm a sucker for car movies, which is funny because I don't really like cars specifically, I could care less. But um, I do like driving. I just got back from a week long road trip around the south island uh, yeah i would do road trips around the states and um films like vanishing point and dirty mary crazy larry yeah. have always there's just something about sort of this existential yeah going out just you in space kind of beauty of it and two lane blacktop was a movie that was probably one of the first road movies i saw that really captured that and you know it's a, it's a strange cast it's you know james taylor and dennis yeah. wilson yeah yeah it's very the leads. Odd, eh? because and, they're um, not actors they're musicians well you know celebrity musicians at the time and you can tell in the film that their acting is kind of subpar really i guess but it kind but, but of it, but for me it that added to the um, to the intrigue of the film. Like, yeah, it, it's less about the classically good performance than it is about the, I guess, the existential situations they're in. Yeah, well, you compare it to Easy Rider, which is yeah. lots of acting, you yeah, know. And, yeah. this, and this is a very vacant thing in a way. I mean, Warren Oates comes in and steals the show, as yeah, the, uh, with with a bit of that. But GTO. a lot of it's just him them existing in this space, mm. and it and um, you know, there's a lot of. Um, uh, traditional screenwriting structure that says you have to have an arc and the characters develop and grow and change, mm. and it's just kind of they just go on. And um, you know, I think one of the poster taglines was like, "Life is a highway, no beginning, no end, just yeah. going off into the distance." And it has that feel, and it's a great um, it's a great trip to take, and I really look forward to taking it again. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I I have very fond memories of that film. Bought it on DVD not long afterwards. I've got two copies of it on DVD, actually. <laughs> One from Anchor Bay, and then uh, Criterion put out this oh, beautiful yeah. deluxe set with like all these extras. I'm like, yeah, I kind of need that, <laughs> which is a bit embarrassing, but here we are. And I'm going to see it again in the theater, because yeah, nice. yeah, uh, just see it on the biggest screen you can. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is a little film called Everything by Claire Denis that I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of films, man. <laughs> well, that's playing at the at the at the um, film society. Well, there's um, four of them, which is a pretty good showing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've seen White Material and Trouble Every Day, but I missed Thirty Five Runs, which I really wanted to catch, and I and I never saw Boat of Ale, which is almost a crime, really. Yeah. Um, well, both those films are. I, I mean, Boat of Ale in particular is one of my favorite yeah. films of all time. 
um, and Thirty Five Rums is an excellent film as well. Yeah, so I, I might I might see if I can make it to Beautravale if I can. You know, mm. I'm sure someone will have pity on me if I if I if I pay <laughs> pay the ticket price, but I'm not a member of such. Well, you can get um, and that's oh, you can get something you talk about. Yeah. You can get a three trip pass for yeah. twenty five bucks, and then oh, you yeah. can apply that towards uh, membership if mm. you're so inclined. So um, if you're not sure about some of this stuff, you can just make this really small investment, which is basically the cost of a normal movie ticket plus a popcorn and a Coke. Yeah. Go see three great classic films, and then if you're in the rhythm of it and enjoying it, just yeah. say, you know what, I'm going to stick around. Well, that, so, same, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll be getting our check under the table from the Auckland Film Society any minute now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beau Travail is a stunning film to see on a big screen because yep. uh, there's a lot of wide shots involved. It's a retelling of... Billy Budd set in North Africa. Oh, I and um, for uh, people who fell, fell in love with Dennis Levant and Holy Motors, yeah. um, this is one of at least two amazing Dennis Levant performances oh, in the okay. society yeah. this year. Um, he's captain at this army base. and um, Yeah, because this is the Foreign Legion. Yeah it's, yeah. yeah, it's a retelling of, I might have said this already, Herman Melville's Billy Budd. Yeah. But a lot of it is issues, kind of a lot of the storytelling in favor of these kind of training sequences that are almost like dance sequences, you know, um, but quite um, stark and unrelenting against this landscape. And it is, you know, this really suffocating all-male environment and how these people adjust to that or don't adjust to that. And beautifully shot, as with almost all Claire Denis films, you know. And um, the ending shot, which is one of the most improbable things to make me cry like just totally broke me down wow. and it's it's one of those if you describe it on paper it doesn't even make sense and it's just testament to the physical expressiveness of yeah. Dennis Levant that it works so well um and it's just a perfect ending to it yeah film. it sounds pretty fantastic yeah. but, but then again I mean you're crying at every every other screening aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't back then, you know. Now that yeah, now that I'm older, you know, Katy Perry part of me. <laughs> Not quite. Um, it's 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 a powerful emotional one. I didn't cry at White Material. I didn't cry at Trouble Every Day. Yeah. Um, and I didn't cry at Thirty Five Rums. Although it is it is a well told, intimately observed tale. Kind of has Ozu. I think it's dedicated to uh, Ozu actually, okay. and has a bit of that sort of family drama yeah, yeah. element to that. But um, it's... Um, and so, then these are all really different films, you know, because White yeah. Material is set in a different part of Africa, yeah. much more about colonialism. Yeah. And Trouble Every Day is often considered, along with The Intruder, one of her more troubling films. Yeah, Because yeah. it's uh, Vincent Gallo. Well, Vincent Gallo, <laughs> yep. And the Vampire. It's one of the early films kind in of English. English. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite Beatrice Dalle, who's, yeah. you know, just such a fierce performer. I mean, two of my favorite Denis films, Friday Night and The Intruder, didn't make the cut for this one. And there's a lot of earlier stuff that I haven't seen at all, like Chocolat. And oh, yeah. um, so it's oh, a Chocolat who? The original one, not the Johnny Depp one. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah no, different Chocolat. <laughs> uh, there's one called I Can't Sleep, You Must right. Go Home, No Fear, No Die. She's got a very right. long filmography. And she's got a new film, which we talked about the other week, called The Bastards. Yeah. Which um, is going to, hopefully we'll play at film, so- uh, film Festival this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So it's, if it's we, okay. yeah. Oh, well, she's this, quite a regular, so Yeah, it'd be chance. a chance to ch- catch up. So, Beau Travail, Yep. On a par with um, Legionnaire. 
Sorry, I couldn't help myself. It's 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 more on a par with Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> Legionnaire is a Van Damme film, yeah, right? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. One of these days we'll have our proper uh, Van Damme discussion, but it won't be uh, tonight because I don't think they featured a lot of Van Damme this year. No, no. Uh, <laughs> film Sock has decided to sort of drop back on his his oeuvre. Yeah, well, yeah. after the retrospective in 96, <laughs> it ruffled a lot of feathers, I think. Oh, <laughs> Note to lawyers, there was no retrospective in 96. <laughs> Please do not sue us. Okay, man, so what's second on your list? Well, Chris Marker, um, speaking of filmmakers who mean a lot to me, Chris Marker died last year. Yeah. And um, La Jete, which was mm. later adapted into 12 Monkeys, is one of his yeah. more famous works. Uh, Sans Soleil, some people yeah. would know. Uh, AK, which is a documentary about Akira Kurosawa oh, okay. that was often featured as a bonus on the Ron DVD. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't seen that another one. one. And um, he did an excellent documentary about Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky yeah. called One Day ben, in the Life uh, of Andrei Arsenovich. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, so there's a Chris Marker film I haven't seen that's played the festival called uh, The Last Bolshevik. Oh, okay. uh, I don't know much about it. Um, I believe it's about Medvikin, which is yet another filmmaker, an early Russian oh, yeah. filmmaker. Um, it's Chris Marker. I'm going. Yeah. That's kind of yeah, all yeah. I need to know. And it's um, So where, where does that fall in his... Um it's later. It's nineties, I believe. Okay. So yeah, yeah, a bit later on. Um, although he was working right up till his death, I think. Yeah. Um, there was a film called A Grin Without a Cat that came out in two thousand seven, and he was doing like little YouTube videos and internet stuff. He was a really yeah. interesting guy because he lived. You know, he was making films during the French New Wave. Yeah. And yeah. just kept going and kept adapting with technology, and it was really quite charming. I actually visited um, his, the bar in Japan that's uh, dedicated to uh, Lajete <laughs> and to Chris Marker because oh, yeah. uh, he he would send out pictures of cats instead of <laughs> him and like uh, there'd be all these bottles in there that were painted with pictures of cats and it was not much bigger than my bedroom which is obviously a useless visual to most uh, not all of the <laughs> listeners of this program but um, had its own charms so what's your number three? okay my number three is the debut feature from Terrence Malick which is Badlands ah oh, such a good film I haven't seen it oh my it actually played here in film a couple of years back. Um, the at the event cinemas they did kind of a retrospective. Event. Yep, event today, wow. or maybe it was still Village then, but they yeah. um, they had a print, and it was a pretty beaten up print. But I I traveled up to Albany with a couple friends to watch it. Wow. And, um, yeah, I've seen it on film twice and on DVD a couple times as well, and um, it's fantastic. I mean, arguably my favorite Malick film. It's certainly his most approachable film yeah, yeah. in terms of linear storytelling and being a bit more conventional, yeah. um, but still has the lyrical beauty of his later works as well. M- Malick's obviously a genius in his way, just to see what his first film was would be quite interesting. It's funny how people how people's first features are um, more often more sort of straightforward and linear, and then mm. they sort of, if they're going to go that way, they sort of start branching out and, and trying a few more things. It's not always the case, but uh, I mean, it seems to be the case with most people. Yeah, it's I was sort of thinking true, yeah. of um, our discussion the other week about Roy Anderson. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. and being somewhat similar in that respect. But I also have a bit of a thing for Sissy Spacek, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, she's quite young in this one. Arguably too young for you to have. Oh, I <laughs> okay. Uh, I can't remember how old I she is in that. <laughs> yeah. We'll be checking IDs at the door. Um, yeah, no, both she and Martin Sheen are great in it, and um, yeah, this... The, the writing in her voiceover is so beautiful, and it's one of the things um, that I often pick up on when I complain sometimes about... I, I love a lot about Latter-day Malik, but mm. often it gets quite into generic phil- philosophizing. Mm. And there's a specificity about the writing in Badlands that it's just beautiful. Yeah. She talks at one point about writing 
words on the roof of her mouth at the tip of her tongue so she didn't have to say them and things like that. And just these really specific sort of images and ideas as opposed to, you know, why is God? Is God and man? Is man and nature? Does that make God nature? You know, it's just kind of like... (laughs) Is that from Thin Thin Red Line, New World, or uh, (laughs) Tree of Life? It might be from all three, you know? (laughs) And I mean, there's things I love about those films, but there is something about the conventional structure of that that maybe doesn't reach the same levels of transcendence of some of those films Yeah, in terms of just going far out into the cosmos, but is maybe more conventionally compelling. But yeah, that's well worth seeing on the big screen. Beautiful film. Okay, so what's next up for you? Mine is um, a festival favorite from a couple of years ago that came back, and and film society is quite good about you know bringing one or two back that have come in recent years and yeah. uh, maybe not got the audience they deserved. And this film's called Nostalgia for the Light, and it's a Chilean documentary oh, yeah. by Patricio Guzman, I believe. That I was, could be wrong. That he was did... a couple of years ago. Yeah, two thousand ten, maybe. Oh yeah. And it's it's a very strange film, beautifully shot. And it starts, and it seems like it's a documentary about uh, astrophysics, and they go to this observatory in Chile, and they talk about, you know, there's these beautiful shots of this radio telescope and these guys who work there, and they talk about stars, and it's all Mm. very philosophical. And then in this same area where this radio telescope is, there's also, I'm not going to spoil it, I'm not going to spoil it, but... There's a whole other dimension that brings in Chile's p- political past. Oh, which, right, yeah. Um, you know, with in the 70s, the dictatorship yeah. and, and killings. And so there's these assonances between anthropology and cosmology, what it means to look into the past in different ways, yeah. that are, that's very unexpected and very fluidly handled, all shot very beautifully. And, uh, you know, when we were talking about the Red House, you know, it talked yeah. about how it talked about, like, big issues, yeah. but still kind of, like, wasn't didactic, and it yeah. gave you room. And obviously, when you're talking about things like, you know, a yeah. dictatorship, yeah. it's very difficult to create that balance where it's not like a, oh my god, Pinochet is bad, and this is what yeah, it's yeah. about. And to still be able to come out of that documentary with simultaneously an appreciation of the horror of that regime, but also thinking about what it means to look to the past in various ways yeah uh it was a real work of art and v- very few people saw it um, yeah i missed it yeah i mean it was a poorly attended screening as i recall it and everyone i talked to at the festival said oh well yeah i wasn't sure what that was i gave it a miss and um it was re- you know it was one of those that literally was just like between two other films that i wanted to see i'm like well i'm at rialto i'll go see it and knock my socks off so i'm really glad that's coming back and i really encourage people to hold out for that one if they mm. get a chance. I don't think it's got a video release in this country either. Okay. So I don't think there's a lot of other options for yeah. seeing it. Although there's a beautiful um, Region 1 Blu-ray, I understand. Your number four? My number four is both of the previous films playing from Leos Carrix. So people probably uh, quite familiar with Holy Motors from um, Festival last year, um, which I saw and loved. And so, yeah, so there's um, Boy Meets Girl, which is... Is that his, has he done three films? Is that his first film, or has he done lots more and we just haven't heard of them? Or I, I haven't heard of them. His filmography is Boy Meets Girl, Mauvais Song, oh, yeah. Lovers on the, the Bridge, bridge. Pola X, a short film in Tokyo, oh, which yeah, was yeah. an omnibus film with Bong Joon-ho and Michelle yeah. Gondry, yep. and then Holy Motors. And then Holy Motors, okay. Sorry, I had to do that in chronological yeah, yeah, order yeah. to get them. <laughs> I wasn't trying to show up. So yeah, so playing, um, playing at Film Society is um, Boy Meets Girl and then Lovers on the Bridge. 
which are both films that I'm interested to see. Boy Meets Girl is his first, right? Yep. Yeah, and um, that's that seems like it'd be quite cool to see where he started. And then Lovers on um, on the Bridge was kind of the film, uh, as I understand it, famously he was kind of a rising star, and then things went wrong with that production from the from oh, the funders' yes. perspective. Yeah. Um, that meant that he was suddenly dropped as the next hot child. In fact, didn't make a film for years after it. Is that what happened? Uh, kind of. Um, so, to start with Boy Meets Girl, Boy yeah. Meets Girl is... You've actually has I've seen both of them. Yeah. I've seen all of his films except for Tokyo. Boy Meets Girl is is uh, black and white. Uh, mm. It has a very, very young Dennis Levant, actually. Oh, right. I, yeah. I had to just double-check <clears throat> that right now. Um, so there's three <clears throat> Dennis Levant films. Yeah, and it's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, a kind of new wave-ish kind of black and white romance. It, to be honest, the one time I saw it, it kind of bored me. But I'm really curious to give it another look. You know, it's it was a bit strange and off-putting and didn't quite click. But it was it was not without personality, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And then his second film, which is not playing Mauvais Song, um, also has Dennis Levant and Juliette Binoche. Okay. And is has one of my favorite scenes of any film of all time set to David Bowie's Modern Love. Oh, yeah. And that's all I'll say about that. And that was the film that made me follow Leos Carax forever. Yeah. Um, Lovers on the Bridge uh, went ludicrously over budget. Yeah, uh, ludicrously. Like I think it wound up costing twenty nine million. Um, the French titles Le Mont de Montpouf, Montpouf, I think is the name of the bridge. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like it's a really famous bridge, and then they wound up having to recreate it. Um, which I mean, it's a huge bridge, right? And there yeah. were fire fireworks. It's very complicated film very expensive didn't come out in the states for like four years till four years after its release if not longer it wow. might have even been like eight or nine because they lost so much money on it that they were selling the rights for so much that no one wanted to buy it <laughs> and um so it sunk oh, his no. career for a long time i mean i i saw it in what was its first release i think in the states in 99 and i'm not sure but it was maybe like a 91 film or something and then um he did a film called Pola X, which was a very dark film that didn't quite work for me, but had moments of interest again. Scott yeah. Walker's in it. It's based on a um, who's the guy that did Remembrance of Things Past Proust. Yeah, it's Proust yeah. novel. Pierre or the Ambiguities, um, which meant nothing to me and still kind of means nothing to me because I haven't read it. So yeah, Carex hasn't made that many films. I mean, and but Holy Motors has. Uh, at least uh, amongst a small cineast community, yeah. <laughs> catapulted him into attention. And yeah. um, Lovers on the Bridge, especially, is just—it's such a rich film. Yeah, and um, it's it's long and it, it can be a trifle exhausting because it's so overstuffed. But I, yeah. I found Holy Motors a bit exhausting as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's certainly that a, a film, full, yeah. a full film. Yeah, it's like you know you can you've had great meals in your life where you've had to take a nap afterwards, yeah, and I yeah. think you could feel the same way about a film. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and yeah, definitely big screen. Lovers on the Bridge in particular is a big screen experience. Yeah. And I don't know if either of them are available on video in this country. So where are you at after this? I'm at number four, which um, I'm is one of my many cheats or one of my two cheats. Uh, it's a trilogy of German films that I've been waiting to come out here but never had called the Dreilebin Trilogy, which are three different feature films by three different German filmmakers. And this is, again... What's the link? Very recent. I think they're all about the same serial killing, but, oh, okay. like, told from very different perspectives. Oh, okay, yeah. So they all kind of... I haven't seen it, but I think the Red Riding Trilogy... Hmm. Is somewhat that's analogous, what I think, that's what but, but not quite the same. In that the Red Riding trilogy is set at different times, and I think yeah. these are all set at the same time. Oh, okay. And there are three of um, Germany's young, youngish 
leading filmmakers. Yeah. Um, Dominic Graff, I don't really know at all. Um, I do know Christian Petzold, however, yeah, Christian Petzold. who did a film called Jericho. And he had Barbara yeah. in uh, Festival 12. Yeah, and uh, which is coming out in a couple months, so yeah. hopefully I'll get to see it then because I missed it there. Yeah, it's but fantastic. That, that made your list of the yeah. top nine, didn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it did. And then another guy um, who I've been curious about for a while, and I've never got to see anything by him. His name is uh, Christoph Hochklauser, who did a film called The City Below, which the few people who've seen it at festivals, like uh, critics like Michael Sosinski, have given it glowing reviews. Oh. And so, yeah, um, the three uh, films all add up to this sort of uh, kaleidoscopic portrait of this, yeah. told with three different voices, uh, have various quite clever, apparently, devices within them as well, yeah. um, all while keeping in sort of that German New School yeah. film, which has a, a really interesting... Um, even when I don't love the films, I find them quite interesting in their choices yeah. and very meticulously thought out. Yeah. Sometimes to a fault, there was a film that played last year at, uh, that I can't even remember the name. I think it was called Vacation or something like that that had certain aesthetic choices that I found a bit overwhelming. But at the same time, it was like, well, yeah, like it or not, at least it's an aesthetic, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, it, and it had a strong voice, and so yeah. I, I did, that did appeal to me. Mm. So you're number five. My number five is um, Design for Living, which is an early Ernst Lubitsch comedy. Which I'm not seen. sure I've ever seen any of his films. That's a bit of a crime, isn't it? I've seen one or two of them. Which one? Or two. Ah... Uh, the names of them drop out of my head, but the mm. other one that's on the program... Trouble in Paradise? Trouble in Paradise, yes, I've yeah. seen that. Okay. But I haven't seen this one. And so, you know, he's a pretty fantastic filmmaker from an era that I've seen bits and pieces from. Um, yeah. So I thought it would be quite cool to get along to something else of his. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's one thing I do love about um, some of the Film Society choices, although I seem to have veered towards more recent films than mine. A lot of the films that they dig out of the past have mm. been highlights for me of previous years and seeing really great early films that um, have somehow slipped your radar yeah, on yeah. a big screen. Yeah, it's just incredibly satisfying. And, oh, um, yeah. And yeah, like you say, the chance to see something on the big screen and, you know, and not so much this year, but in 35mm or whatever. <laughs> is, is like, or it's non-union equivalent, which yeah, we'll get yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's is fantastic. I mean, particularly mm. when, when it's a bunch of films that you may only have seen on VHS when you were younger or, yeah. you know, or DVD more recently. Some of these films, you just, it's like watching them completely fresh and getting a completely different experience when you see yeah. them on the big screen. Yeah, and film society audiences tend to be quite respectful as well. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've run into sometimes when you get to uh, perhaps an older film with that is dated in certain ways that an mm. audience laughs at the ways in which it's dated. And mm. um, that's always a disappointment if somebody's not able to engage the film at the level it was yeah. intended on. And um, yeah, and there's quite a few. I mean, there's um, two films by Leo McCary, who's another filmmaker I don't know very well, uh, Awful, Awful Truth and Ruggles of Red Gap. And also um, G.W. Pabst, who's name-checked in Inglorious Bastards. Oh, but yeah. somehow I've never seen any of his films. And Joyless Street is a film of his that's playing this year. Oh. Um, Jean Cocteau's Blood of a Poet, yeah, yeah. Um, which I have seen. is a glorious piece of surrealism. Mm. And um, uh, slightly more that's recently... That's in a double, isn't it? Uh, yeah, with another film that I didn't recognize. Yeah. And I, we cleverly don't have the names in front of us right now, because <laughs> that's how we roll. But, uh, and Louis Malle's uh, Viva Maria with uh, Bridget Bardot and Jean Moreau, which oh, is yeah, yeah. a slightly more re recent vintage, but still, mm. you know, 60s, so a good chunk in the past. Um, so yeah, there's quite quite a few good walks into the um, past. Um, and what's your last official kind of... 
I, I cheated. I, I don't know why I lumped these films together other than they come from a similar, similar point in era. time. Yeah. And I think they hold, the filmmakers hold a similar place in people's hearts. Yeah. And they're both named David. So yeah. <laughs> um, Mr. Cronenberg did a film called Videodrome. Yeah. Mr. Lynch did a film called Eraserhead. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely like both extreme films in various ways, you know, and they're both films that mean a lot to me. I've never got to see Eraserhead on the big screen. It's, um, for people who know David Lynch, but only from his more recent works, might be unprepared. Hmm. I'm not sure anything can prepare you for Eraserhead. Have you seen Eraserhead? <laughs> no. I'm not, yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible film, but um, very abstract in a lot of ways. Intensely beautiful sound design. I mean, beautiful in a very dark way. Yeah. There's, a, a again, glorious black and white photography. A lot of you, when you say abstract, uh, more abstract than his than his uh, more recent work. Uh, differently, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it's it's more single protagonist than something like Inland Empire. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't have sort of the conventional film pleasures of say a Mulholland Drive or yeah. a Lost Highway. Yeah, it, it's very dark. Um, the film is largely about him becoming a father and not being ready to deal with that and his anxieties around it. And the film makes a lot more sense when you know that. And it's quite literally nightmarish, you know? It feels like a waking nightmare um, nonstop. And and especially compared to something like Inland Empire, though, he had such a concern about beauty and Mm. the aesthetic that seems to be gone from his recent work. And, I mean, I say recent. Inland Empire was seven years ago or something, and who knows if he'll make more. Um, Videodrome, meanwhile, is just... Um, I mean, I guess you could say Eraserhead is kind of a distilled essence of what David Lynch is. Yeah. And Videodrome, I think, is being a distilled essence of what David Cronenberg is. is. And obviously, both of them have made films that are well outside the square, from, you know, straight story on Lynch's side yeah, to, yeah. you know, something like M. Butterfly on <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Cronenberg's side. But um, Videodrome... You, have you seen Videodrome? You, were no, you at that marathon? I've missed... Oh, man. Oh, what year was that? 83? Um, no, no, Marathon. Oh, I don't remember. Some 2005 or 2006 or oh, something. Yeah, yeah, it was a final yeah. film. And it, it is that sort of fan favorite. That um, Basically, the, the idea of Videodrome is James Woods is an exec at this cable network oh, yeah, that's yeah. trying to push the boundaries. And he finds out about this new programming called Videodrome and that's dark and twisted, but it also seems to have this other these other qualities to it mm. and um and it starts this deep head-on descent into surreality near the end oh, yeah. um and there's a lot of um Cronenberg's traditional concerns about flesh sort of yeah, rebelling yeah, against yeah. itself yeah, yeah. and uh what what media means and what it can do to us and sort of these cult-like entities and mm. you know people's devotion and how that changes their worldview it, it, it's it's a product of the '80s in certain ways. There's no questioning that. Yeah, and it's a it's a kind of daring choice for film society that have often gone for um, even in their quote unquote more extreme choices. I think some more like conventionally stayed programming. Like yeah. you know, it's not it doesn't have quite the imprimatur of class that a film like Dead Ringers or History of Violence does. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but it's uh, essential viewing for. It's not easy viewing. It's very uncomfortable viewing in a couple places, but it speaks to a certain voice of what what life was like in the early 80s. Yeah. And in some ways, 
it is actually very prescient about what the future is. Yeah. And I think it's as relevant now, strangely, as it was then, even though the medium then was VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's um, and there's some other films on on the program as well. Which um, there's a bunch w- of Chinese ones. Yeah, um, it's Free Radicals, which is a documentary yeah. as well. Kinshasa Symphony. Some French, other French um, docos as well. Yeah, the Ballad of Genesis and Lady J as well, which is about Genesis Porridge of Throbbing Gristle. Oh yeah. Um, and probably even more that we've forgotten. It's just there's quite a few films. So yeah, a rich program and quite broad. If you don't live in Auckland or uh, Wellington or one of the other cities, I think, I mean, this is the Auckland program, and uh, Wellington has a similar but distinct one, and then the rest of the country's film societies uh, will have, again, similar but distinct programming. But, um, you know, you can always just rent them at home as well. uh, And, and, you know, for three films for 25 bucks, that's pretty decent. Yeah. That's our consumer advisory, and um, I think that's this episode of Best Worst Podcast. Yeah. Here's to Concision. Thank you.